If you've been following along during this season of Lent, you know that today is our third in the series of A Way Into Joy. This morning's sermon title is about finding peace of mind, but we're coming to that really through the back door, looking at that stumbling block that stands in the way of just such peace of mind, otherwise known as anxiety or worry or what I will call ruminating. If joy in life is our goal, and that's what the first catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy God forever, then worry and anxiety should be the last on the list of what we do. Jesus dealt with it directly in his Sermon on the Mount in this morning's text from the sixth chapter, especially regarding our issues of worrying over money, warning us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal, but instead... Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he breaks it down even more in the following verses, 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not ruminate about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by ruminating, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you ruminate about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not ruminate, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the non-believers who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not ruminate about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today is trouble enough for today. The Apostle Paul, as well, had words to say on the matter of anxiety, the antidote to which is peace, shalom, in the full sense of the word. That's not just cessation of violence. That is a complete understanding of things being in God's hands, of, of being in balance, of being calmed, of shalom, as the lion would lie down with the lamb. 
Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not ruminate about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. If you were reading along in your pew Bible as I was reading the text, you probably caught the fact that I substituted the word ruminate for the word worry as it was translated. And I did that on purpose because I want us to understand that there are many nuances of the meaning of those words. We should, of course, have concern about things and others, and in fact, we do worry. It might even move up a step to anxiety, but the final step is that place of rumination where we obsess over and over and over on it and we dig for ourselves a deeper and deeper hole. The reason I use that word is because the Greek word in this text is meritso, and what it literally means is a divided self, a divided mind, literally split apart. If you look at the German word for worry, at least as it's translated in this text, it's vugan, And what that means is literally uh, an experience of having all the air sucked out of you, as in being choked or strangled. It's a big difference between being concerned for something and having your whole life have its air pulled out of you and you being caught up in knots and split apart. Unless you are a complete psychopath or you are on such medication that you have no senses at all, we all worry over things. Jesus worried, too. In fact, he worried for his disciples. He worried for this world. He worried for those he cared for and loved. He worried for us. He worried even for his own life as he faced his crucifixion. But he didn't ruminate, I don't think. We cannot live without the concerns of life, without worry. We cannot love another person without also being worried about them, their health, their well-being, and so forth. Just being alive brings with it some anxiety. Philosophers call it the existential angst, the German word angst. And they say it stems from the fact that we humans, apart from every other creature, are able to imagine infinity and immortality. We can imagine it. We can cognitively have some understanding of infinity and immortality, while at the same time we are keenly aware that we are not infinite and immortal. 
And the tension between our knowing what infinity is about and our awareness of our existential mortality is the space where existential angst is born. Adam and Eve in the garden with everything they could ever have expected given to them except for one thing, were led by their existential angst to commit what is called the first original sin. They did not have the full knowledge that God had. They did not want to rest in their mortality. They wanted instead the full knowledge of God's immortality and infinitude. Out of that anxiety of being human, They ate of the tree of knowledge. Life itself is filled with worry and anxiety. This anxiety is what leads us to do stupid things. I actually heard a joke last night that goes something like, when you're dead, it doesn't really matter to you, it only bothers all of those around you, same as when you're stupid. That's a joke. (laughs) When you're stupid, it doesn't really matter to you. It just matters to those around you. Or when you complain, it could work the same way. Existential anxiety leads us in in our way to do stupid things. We We have a midlife crisis, we have an affair, we develop an addiction, we follow any number of dark tunnels because we are being chased by this reality that we are mortal, yet we imagine what immortality is like. It's angst. It's a gift even, believe it or not. It's a gift because it holds us accountable to ourselves and our humility. It's a gift because it reminds us that we are limited. It's a gift because it should at least remind us that each moment and each day is vital because there aren't an unlimited number of them. Finally, it is a gift because that kind of anxiety helps us stay safe Not being God, we are more protective of ourselves and others. Yet, it's not only a gift, it's a burden. And I think this is what Jesus was pointing about in this morning's passage. He starts out by cautioning us against ruminating about material things. That sort of false, idolatrous sense of security that if we have enough of it, whatever it is, we will no longer be anxious. God will provide, Jesus says. Yes, it is a wonderful thought. God will provide. But God is not, and Jesus is not, telling us to live on the dole. Adam and Eve again. After they were expelled from the garden, God gave them the rest of their life and us the work of our brow. We are called to labor and work as human beings. And in fact, our labors and our work offers for us 
a way out of the anxieties and worries of life. It gives us a goal. It gives us something to work toward. It is, in fact, one of the ways into the flow of joy and happiness to have a goal before you and to work toward it. And the working toward it is, in fact, what brings the joy just as much as actually achieving it. We're not called to live on the dole. We are also like squirrels who gather nuts, who bury them, who dig them up, and who shell them to eat. It is necessary for our living. I remember a seminary student, the first year I started school, who showed up with absolutely no money. He had some education expense paid, but he had no money for his expenses, his food or anything else. And when questioned about it, he'd always say to us, I have faith, God will provide. And God did for three weeks or so, uh, after which we all figured out filling up his hand that was always out was not going to work, in which case he just disappeared overnight. I guess God did provide in some way for him, but he had one of those life experiences when he learned that God may provide the means, but God does not provide the labor. Jesus calls us to some sense of anxiety, but not to obsessing over it or ruminating. Virgin sucks the air right out of you. It gives us panic attacks and what is now general anxiety di- uh, diagnosis. It is said that we live in this age of anxiety more like any other, and the, pers- and the, uh, and the proof of that, they say, are the prescriptions that are being uh, uh, filled in order to help us in our anxieties and our depressions. There's plenty to worry about. Ebola, ISIS, the security of our families, our country, our climate. Since 9-11, they say our, our stress and anxiety has increased for apparent reasons. But the perception of our insecurity is not, in fact, the reality. Actually, violence and the threat of violence has decreased every generation since the history of time. Did you hear that? Violence and the threat of violence has decreased historically. I remember in second grade, what a joke, clamoring under our school desks for an air raid drill as if that in some way was going to protect us from nuclear explosion. Anita had to walk home from her school for an air raid drill with dog tags around her neck. Everyone in her school had dog tags, I guess, to identify whatever was left. I remember riots in many of the major cities on television in the 60s and three massive 
assassinations. I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. My father remembers fighting in World War II, or did remember it, and the Depression. His father remembered World War I. In every single generation, there has been plenty to worry about. Yet for some reason, our anxiety in this age has become more and more prevalent. Sir Winston Churchill, who battled plenty of demons and anxiety, once said, When I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had lived through a whole lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. That from Churchill, who had plenty to worry about, as you remember. It may just be our culture. I'm beginning to think that has a lot to do with it, that we have access to too much stuff. Information, for one. News 24-7, whose job it is, believe it or not, is to increase our anxiety. Because they've done studies to know that it becomes addictive. And the more we have that rush of anxiety, our little amygdala and hippocampus works overtime and produces these hormones, the more we want another rush of anxiety. And so we keep feeding ourselves more and more with our 24 news pattern. It becomes a way of life. We have too much information. You wake up with a headache and a small lymph node has been swollen, and so you get up immediately and start looking at the internet, WebMD, and you discover that you've got cancer and you've got three weeks to live. We have too much stuff to care for. We've got rooms and rooms and rooms of stuff put away. We've got houses and houses of stuff everywhere. We've got stuff and stuff and stuff And one of the things we have too much of, by the way, is choices. Way, way too many choices. If you're looking for a decent mid-sized car, you virtually have, or really have, about 35 different choices. And you can study up all you want about the best choice, but after you make that choice, you're still left with buyer's remorse because you don't know for sure if you did make the right one. Studies show that the more choices we have, the less happy we are. Six is the prime number of choice, not 35 or 40. We have too many choices in the way we live our lives. We make choices for ourselves without following any traditional or story narrative that's greater than we are, which means that now my choices are based on my own beliefs about what is right and what is wrong, and I can choose to do whatever I want as long as it meets my belief system. I don't have a larger belief system to give myself over to. Therefore, I have really a whole long list of choices that I am now free to make. There is no longer a traditional meta-narrative that limits us and gives us direction. Did you know that 
Someone once said the Ten Commandments have never been broken. And I laughed and said, well, in my life, I do so every day. And they said, no, you don't break them. You break yourself going up against them, but they are still fully intact. They have not been broken. And what that law gave us, you see, was a limited container about the way we are called to live our life with each other and with God. And in doing so, that reduced our anxiety because the more choices we have to make, the more freedom we have, the more our anxiety goes up. In terms of the issue of wealth, by the way, which Jesus speaks to immediately, that is one of the major anxiety issues for most of the men I know, and it probably has something to do with the hunter-gatherer instinct in us. A Harvard-Yale study showed that money can't buy happiness after all. Imagine that. They studied wealthy people, those who had a million dollars up to $10 million, and asked them what amount of money they would need in order to say that they met a 10 on the 10 scale of happiness. And the average was that they needed three to four times more money than they already had to make a perfect 10 on the score. No matter how much money they had, they needed three to four times more to be happy. We are consumed by consumption. Jesus says to quit worrying about it. Look at the lilies of the field. They are naturally beautiful. We are naturally beautiful even more apart from all of the external ways that we buy to put around us to convince ourselves and others that look how beautiful I am. Look at how beautiful my house is. Look at how beautiful my children are. Look at the clothes I wear. Jesus says rubbish. How much more does God know of our beauty than even the lilies of the field? There's something else to add to our issues of ruminating, and that is, in our freedom, we have to figure out how to live together. We have to figure out how to live in a way where our rights are subservient to our responsibility to a greater world. The way we live our lives matters to the common good. When we claim our rights only and only that as important, anxiety goes up. When we give up our rights for a greater good, anxiety goes down. Somebody needs to tell us to stop. When Megan was two and we took her to the golf course one evening after dinner, we let her run down the 18th fairway and sat and watched to see how far she would go, having complete freedom to run as far as she wanted. And after 50 yards, she would stop and look back at us, exasperatingly. We would wave, non-anxiously. She'd turn around and run another 50 yards. She'd stop and look back. We'd wave, non-anxiously. Finally, she ran one more 50 yards. She stopped and looked back, put her hands on her hips, stomped her foot, and screamed, Are you ever going to tell me to stop? 
She needed limits, boundaries, and so do we. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be given to us. The kingdom of God. And Paul pointed this out as well, this new sense of space, not the space of the culture in which we live, not the space of the consumer-itis in which we are infected, not the space of the material world that continues to thrive, but the space, the space of the kingdom of God. Seek that first. The kingdom is about claiming the love of God manifested in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for Paul and all the disciples, and hopefully for us, this is the primary place where we start with whatever it is we are anxious about because, you see, that's our promise that we have been reconciled with the source of our creation. The kingdom of God is about discovering God's love and peace and not division, wholeness, and not separation, forgiveness, and not vengeance, kindness, and not meanness, inclusion of all peoples, and not exclusion of some people. It is about peace, and not violence, war, or power. It is about humility, and not hubris. It is about giving our lives over to the service of something greater than ourselves. It is about giving our lives over to God and the living hope that no matter what happens in life or in death, we are still God's. Strive first for the kingdom, Jesus said, and all will be given to you. Paul, too. is my mother's favorite Bible verse. She, a deeply loving, gracious, wonderful woman, also had issues with anxiety and every time she would say these words, The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses All understanding will guard our hearts. Paul said this, and he would be the last one you would expect to be able to say it. For as he writes to his churches, he says, Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes save one. That's 39 lashes. 40 brings death. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning Three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, And then this just kills me. After all of that personal persecution and suffering, he says this. And besides all other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. He's not anxious about his own 
life's experiences. He's anxious about the churches, us, we, the people of God. That's what he's anxious for. His concern for others overcomes his own concern. Prayer, seeking the kingdom of God, worship, being in community feeds our spirit and relieves our anxieties. So does, by the way, physical exercise. Hope and willingness to see a doctor for a physician if, in fact, you have ruminating issues so badly you cannot stop. Prescriptions do help. And finally, this goes without saying, but I don't know why. Count your blessings. Seriously, five things that you are truly grateful for and feel them. Five things every single time you feel the cloud of anxiety over your head. Think about five things you are truly grateful for and feel them and then lift that up through that cloud into the very source of all giving. Count your blessings. In the end, we're not God, so let's let God be God, and let's let God worry about it. What we need to do is follow through with all that we can handle today. Let us bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors.